The NBA Gambling Podcast on the Sports Gambling Podcast Network presented by the SGPN Merch Store. Use promo code SGPNBA to get 10% off everything in the SGPN Store. That's promo code SGPNBA. Yes, sir. We are back with another edition of the NBA Gambling Podcast on the Sports Gambling Podcast Network. No me, no voice, no guys. Me, really relevant, and else, Ralph Furman Jr. here at your service. And uh, I mean, the playoffs are playoffing, aren't they? We got what we wanted. I mean, it's so sometimes you're when you're right, you're right, and sometimes when you're not, you're not. But there was somebody that came over here and said that Golden State was going to go down 0-2, and then we were going to get a nice price on Golden State going forward. I was right about the 0-2 part. I was wrong about the right price. The price is Scott horrible. Right show. <laughs> the price Scott is Studio so right bad. Show. Yeah. Uh, thanks uh, for the introduction. Sorry I had to interrupt, but that price is so <laughs> it's just so bad for a team down to nothing. The disrespect for Sacramento is still alive and well, and I'm technically a part of it because initially – I thought about fading Golden State immediately in the playoffs, and I've been talking about it for months, and then the playoffs got around, and I caved. So I still picked mm-hmm. Golden State in six. So in theory, that's possible. But the flaws that I've noticed from Golden State are still there. I just thought that Sacramento would look a little bit, I'd say, more nervous in their first playoff series in about 20 years or about 15 years. So I kind of thought that Sacramento emotionally would not be able to sustain this level of excellence. And I really wasn't impressed by Sacramento's defense in the last couple of weeks of the regular season. They look good out at there. At all though. in the regular season? I uh, wasn't impressed by their defense at all in the regular season. I can't no, even think the, of stretches. But, but I'd when say the, I was offense impressed. Was, the offense was so good that it kind of was able to overshadow the defense. But then the offense struggled a bit more down the stretch. They were still decent, but they were like a top three offense in the last couple of months. They were more in the teens, and the defense didn't improve. So that was kind of the main issue that I had. Plus, Golden State was getting Wiggins back. I thought there'd be a little bit of rust there. There wasn't any rust for Wiggins at all. He actually looked pretty good in the series, with the exception of a couple of, let's just say, bad misses in the fourth quarter. Uh, He had the miss in game one, and then he hit the side of the backboard in game two. Yo, he just needs to stop shooting out that corner. He just yeah. need to stop shooting out that corner. Like he he ain't got it from that corner right now. It, we, we got to put Wiggins on the other side or something. Put GP two there. I, I don't know, but he got to stop shooting out that corner. Well, I do want to talk about GP two, but I think we could save that for a potential game three preview. But even with whatever happened in the game, the game kind of became a secondary talking point based on what happened in the final couple minutes, mostly involving Draymond Green, and you have the his altercation with Sabonis. You can argue if he should have been ejected. You could argue if Sabonis should have been ejected too. There was a lot going on, but all I can say, at least from watching a basket, from watching the basketball game in itself, the Draymond suspension or the Draymond, sorry, the Draymond ejection, in my opinion, won Sacramento the game because the pick and roll defense and the switching for Golden State was completely shot. And once Draymond was out of the game, Looney was stuck playing drop coverage. And Fox got a free floater in the lane pretty much every possession. And because Draymond was out, that allowed a lot of extra penetration for the Kings. And that resulted in a great offensive showing in the final couple minutes. So we'll start there. And then we'll go into the potential decision if it was right or not for Draymond to get ejected or if Sabonis should have been ejected too. 
did you do you agree with me that that Draymond's injury? I don't want to say handed Sacramento the game, but it drastically increases Sacramento's chances of winning that game because Golden State's defense after that was totally shot. Well, yeah, I mean, I can't disagree with that. It's Draymond Green. Like, he's an excellent basketball player. And when you have a guy like Draymond Green that gets ejected, it's always going to hurt your team. But I'm not going to say that they weren't going to win the game with Draymond in the game. That's what I'm not going to agree with. Like, I I don't think Golden State was in the driver's seat. I know they were trying to put together a run. They were down 13 at one point, I think it was. And so I know they were trying to put together a run. But I still think that, you know, how – Sacramento was playing on both sides of the ball, not even offensively, but just being able to for- force turnovers. Draymond had what? What was it, like five, six turnovers in that game? Draymond was not good offensively. I thought defensively did a great job on Sabonis, but it mostly just came down to the pick and roll switching for me. And I'm not saying Golden State was automatically going to win if Draymond was not ejected from the game, but I am throwing it out there that it does feel like Golden State was building momentum. They survived the third quarter where the Kings were in the bonus for the for, for 10 plus minutes and they only got outscored by two in the quarter. It felt like the tide was slightly turning and then all momentum was shot because Draymond got take what got taken out of the game and they couldn't stop Sacramento in the final couple minutes. Yeah, I I just thought it was more came down to Golden State unable to get stops and uh Sacramento being relentless in forcing Golden State to turn the ball over. Golden State had 20 turnovers in the game. And, you know, you can't win, you can't win too, too many games like that, losing the turnover batter 20 to 14. But I mean, it's what I it's what I thought. I mean, all everybody, everybody and their mother was on Golden State last night. And it just felt like a very good contrarian spot for a team that is riding high. And Everybody talked about Golden State didn't play their best ball in game one. Sacramento didn't play their best ball in game two. Honestly, both of these teams are still, you know, yet to really play their best ball. Uh, Sacramento was nine for 38 from three last night, 23%. And they still won the game. And that's what, like one of their metrics they've been top 10 in all year. So, yeah, man, like to be. All I know is I just want to – I feel like we, we got to talk about the main incident. But still, I thought the officials were horrible last night. Not not because of the ejection. That's a whole separate can of worms. You can't have a playoff game with just no flow in it where one team is in the bonus with 10-plus minutes left in the third quarter. Now, you could argue, you know, Golden State just stopped grabbing people. Uh, okay. The refs destroyed every piece of flow in that game the entire way through. I thought the refs did an atrocious job last night. Now, you can say, once again, it didn't really impact the game. You, you make an argument either way, but do you agree with me that the officials seem to be a little bit, let's just say, whistle happy with the calls they were making? Because there was a whistle about every 30 seconds down the stretch of that game, and it was kind of unbearable. Yeah, but I mean, again, uh, I, 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 we all, we know this is going to happen. Like, we know the refs suck. The I'm, I'm just that, throwing it out there. I thought the yeah. refs were especially bad. Once again, not because of the ejection. But because of just the lack of flow in the entire game, it seemed like the reason why the game was so low scoring was A, because of the first quarter where they just turned the ball over like 20 times in the first quarter combined. But it was also just a lack of ability for both teams to get out and run because there was just so many stoppages in play. Draymond Green, Kavon Looney, Andrew Wiggins, Demonis Sabonis, and Kevin Herter all had five fouls by the end of the game. 
All right, before we get talk about the other game that nobody actually really cared about, we're going to talk about Underdog Fantasy. The NBA and the NHL playoffs are here, and what a better way to get down on some player prop parlays than over at Underdog Fantasy. Besides daily NHL, MLB, and NBA games, they also added NFL Best Ball Draft. So go ahead, get active and have a chance to win a half a million dollars, head over to underdogfantasy.com. Use promo code SGPN for a 100% deposit bonus up to $100. That's underdogfantasy.com, promo code SGPN. All right. Other than this game, which we actually did, well, I I called the Kings. Wait, hang, hang on a second. Off. Are we actually not going to talk about the – I thought we have to talk about the – Draymond and Sabonis. I don't care. I really don't care. I I mean, I just, uh, why? Why do we have to talk about it? I don't understand. Because Draymond might get suspended for game three. I I think it'd be stupid for him to get suspended. I don't, I I feel like it's a discussion, but I think we got to at least talk about it. No, I don't think we have to talk about it. I, I, what does that have to, I don't know what that does with anything. It's either he gets suspended or he doesn't. I mean, I, I truly don't know what it has to do with anything. Other than other than he might get suspended, he might not. But until that happens, I mean, what is what else is there to talk about? Sabonis grabbed him. Draymond stepped on him. He got ejected. I, f- I feel like that's a pretty simple way to put it. There was another angle that kind of circulated, which I'll put it this way. I thought it made Sabonis look better than I thought initially on the live broadcast. Still wasn't a great play by him, don't get me wrong. I thought Sabonis' play was initially dirty or dirty-ish. And then I saw the replay, and I don't think it was as bad as it initially looked. The Draymond one, some of it's reputation-based. It is what it is. I mean, you know, with Draymond, he's going to be more likely to get ejected or suspended because of his history in the past, and it is what it is. The Draymond kick or stomp or whatever you want to call it was kind of rough. You can make an argument Sabonis should have been ejected too. If you want to make that argument, I guess I wouldn't totally disagree but I do think the one angle that was circulating after the game, I'll put it this way. I thought Sabonis's intentions weren't necessarily as bad as it looked initially during the live broadcast. Because in the, in the live broadcast, it looked like Sabonis just straight up went for a leg lock and he was trying to get a takedown. But from the other angle, I think it was the Kings broadcast that had an angle from behind the basket. And you see Sabonis immediately try to cover up his face and it seemed like Draymond's foot was just in, was coincidentally inside of him covering up his face. Now, you could agree with that narrative or not. That's what I personally saw from the other angle. I still think a technical or a flagrant one was warranted in that situation. Draymond getting ejected didn't bother me. Yeah, again, I don't, I mean... Uh, it, we could just sit here and speculate all day and around the woods. At the end of the day, situation, situation, the video is out there. You're every where our interpretation doesn't matter. It's yeah. the interpretation of the league and what they see. So, I mean, I'm not. I don't care to talk about it until they decide whether he does. If he does get a suspension, if he does get a suspension, all right, then maybe it's something to talk about. But if well, not, I'll ask then you this though, since it is all speculation, care. do you think personally that he's going to get suspended for Game Three? Because I do not. I think I, that since the Warriors lost Game Two, he'll play in Game Three. I think if Golden State won Game Two, maybe you can look at it and say he'll get suspended for Game Three. But since they lost the game, I don't expect Draymond to miss any time. I don't think that he's going to miss any time. I don't think it was that as bad as people are making it be. Like he was, he was trying to go up the court, and he ended up walking on the guy. Like I truly don't. All right, 
over to the other game that actually was played. We have the Philadelphia Sixers getting a win over the Brooklyn Nets, 96-84. They lead the series 2-0, going back to Brooklyn on Thursday. Yes, Thursday. Going back to Brooklyn on Thursday. So, Cam Johnson had an incredible game, although his efforts came up short. 11 for 19, 5 for 11 from 3, 28 points. Shout out Moon off for the Cam Johnson over two and a half threes at plus money. Uh, Bikel Bridges had a solid game, 21 points, seven assists, five rebounds. And uh, Nick Claxton was extremely inefficient and actually rarely used on his birthday. They decided to go small majority of that game. We cashed Royce O'Neal over two and a half assists very, very late in that one. I was sweating that bet, <laughs> and he had like one assist. I think it was in the fourth quarter. He had one assist. He ends up getting two cheap assists, and we cashed that over two and a half assists on Royce O'Neal. And uh, Tyrese Maxey was really the saving grace of the Philadelphia 76ers. 33 points on 13 for 23 shooting, six threes. I mean, I still, like, this was a pretty good shot. The Nets were leading this game at half. They came out very strong. They uh, were forced, they forced, well, not forced, but they allowed Philadelphia to continue taking those three-point shots as they did in the first game because they figured there's no way they make 20-plus threes again. And at the end of the day, you know, second half comes and they're unable to score the basketball as Per usual, I think they had, what, 14 points in that third quarter coming out after leading at halftime, 14 points in the third quarter. Then at that point, that's really all she wrote for the game. Any recap here, anything to think about going forward as we take this series back to Brooklyn? So, first of all, going into the series, I thought the Nets could maybe win a game. And I know that sweep was a common discussion and a common I'd say I bet that was given sweet. out I thought they would maybe win a game yesterday had the right formula to win a game because Harden was terrible I thought Harden would have a, a bad playoff game or two and maybe the Nets could steal one they got exactly what they wanted in the first half the problem is they can't score I I'll admit I think I was wrong I think the Nets are going to get swept they, they just can't score it's really as simple as that and Bede hasn't even gone nuts in the series because they keep double teaming him every time but Harden does not look good at all Maxi woke up and he looked very good. Other than that, I really don't have much to say. I feel like the biggest winner in this series is Kyle Kuzma. You can read into that if you want to. But I do think that the Nets don't have any weapons. Bridges looks fine, but he's by himself out there. Cam Johnson looks really good. Shout out to him for the poster dunk on Embiid. Dimwitty's horrible. I, I, I know that I use that word a lot, but he's been really, really bad. I feel like that's the perfect adjective to describe Dimwitty in the series. He's been really, really bad. And you're looking at what the Nets have as backup options for offense. They have nobody. And the argument is, you know, Cam Thomas can't guard anybody. It's why he doesn't play. At this point, I think you have to use him. Because you're giving... There were a couple of moments where the Nets were using Seth Curry and Joe Harris at the same time. So I know you don't care about defense if that's going to be your lineup for a couple minutes there. I think you might have to give Cam Thomas some run. You got to try something. Your team can't score. They scored 80. This basically scored 80 points in a playoff game. That can't happen if you expect to actually win a game in this series. Like Cam Thomas try to do something with the bench unit, but this team can't score. My main takeaway, though, for Philly is the same takeaway that I had previously. I think Boston's going to beat the crap out of them in the second round because Philly is taking advantage of a weak Nets team that can't score. 
Harden looks brutal out there. He looks mm. really, really bad. Yeah, and he, no, he looked he looked bad this game. He looked fine game one. Game one, he looked really bad for a quarter and a half, and then he caught fire from three. But the issue is he has no burst in any of his dribbles. He can barely get to the rim. He can't finish because he can't lift anymore. I think Boston kills this. I think Philly there's a little team. hurt in that. Wait, what? I think there's a little hurt in that. It's actually not. The Harden thing's kind of removed at this point. Just based on what I've seen from Harden, I just don't think he can really generate much separation. I think that he has no lift around the rim. He can't finish a layup at this point. And the referees aren't calling all the fouls they used to in the regular season. So Harden's efficiency has plummeted in this playoff series and just in the playoffs in general. I think Boston kills this team in five or six, but that's what I thought going in. So nothing's really changed for Philly. They've just been benefiting from facing off against a team that actively has no quality offensive options besides one guy or one and a half guys. Mm. Well, I mean, this, I mean, we had Moon off swept this game. We had Philly minus 10. We had the under 213. And it was just the fact that they shot Brooklyn shot probably what they're going to shoot the best percentage of the entire series. And they only scored 101 points. So, if that percentage goes down anymore, that points total is going down with it. And so, I mean, when Philadelphia isn't making 20 plus threes, they're not scoring 120 points. It was fairly simple in just saying that we're going to fade the Nets because they can't score. And even though Philly's total is probably going to go down, I doubt. And I think we said it that it, we really doubt that they get to 90 and they didn't. So clear, clean sweep in that game. Moon off cash, uh, the Cam Johnson prop. We cashed Gary Payton over one and a half steals and blocks at plus 150 yesterday as well. So a bunch of winners. I almost got the Kings and uh, Fox 30 plus. We almost got that as well. Fox came, what, six points short? So yeah. I mean, that was, I mean, that was nobody a close scored one. in the entire first quarter. So it's Fox caught fire late. It just was a classic Fox game where he took a bit longer to get going than you would have hoped. And by the time yeah. he got going, it was a bit too late. Yeah, it was too late. But, you know, that was like plus 245. I'm, I'm fine with that. All right, before we get into the actual breakdown of the slate, going to talk to you about the SGPN merch store and in honor of the NBA playoffs and us hitting 1,000 subscribers on YouTube. Appreciate all of you guys, 1,000 subscribers on YouTube. That's absolutely amazing. And so until the end of April, we are giving 10% off anything in the SGPN merch store. You can cop the refs are terrorist shirts that, you know, that's going to be going on all playoffs. We already know. And there's a big ref disparity tonight that we're going to talk about. So refs are terrorist. You can cop that shirt in the SGPN merch store. 10% off anything when you use promo code SGPN. SGPNBA. Head over to store.sportsgamblingpodcast.com and use promo code SGPNBA to get 10% off everything. All right. Let's move on to the slate of games that are actually being played today. First on the docket, we have the Atlanta Hawks in Boston playing the Boston Celtics. Celtics lead the series 1-0. Line opened up at 11, minus 11 and a half. It's down to minus 10 and a half. 230 and a half is the total injury report for these two teams. And we have nothing for the Atlanta Hawks and nothing for the Boston Celtics. So expect to see everybody in effect for the series. All right. Boston absolutely steamrolled Atlanta in game one. 
final score was 112 to 99. Atlanta actually tried to make a push late in that game, but it was, I mean, they were down like 30 at halftime. It was a little too late, too, uh, too late by then, too much of a margin to pick up. So I will say that Atlanta's second half was better than their first half. So which Atlanta are we going to see today? Are we going to see first half Atlanta or are we going to see second half Atlanta? I think it's going to be somewhere in the middle, but I was going to ask you, how much of the second half can you actually, you know, apply to game one when Boston might have just not cared because they were up 30 at halftime? Like, I just think Boston had a dip in intensity because they knew they won the game in the first, what, 20 minutes? Yeah. So I, I don't really have much takeaway from the second half of that game. Boston knew they were going to win. And then you ended up seeing Atlanta come back. We see it all the time. You know, you stop trying in this league and the other team is still going to be able to make a bit of a run there. The game was never in doubt, though. I do think at the end of the day, the most fascinating part of game two was the fact that the run came with Trae Young on the bench. And it could also, once again, have to do with the fact that Boston stopped trying because they won the game comfortably and they just stopped caring. But Trey was brutal in game one. And... I guess the question you have to ask is, can Atlanta keep a game close if Trey is not going to play at, let's just say, a B level? If Trey has a C or a D level game, or maybe an F game, can Atlanta keep this game within single digits? I don't think they can. I think Trey is just too important to this team that they cannot survive if Trey has a bad game and they need him to play well. I said going into this series, I like the Celtics to win in either four or five. And I said, if Atlanta wants to make any noise in the series, they need Trey and DeJounte to basically combine for 60 points per game. And is that realistic? No, because I thought Boston would kill them in the series. But I was just mentioning, if I had to pick one area that Atlanta or one checkpoint Atlanta needed to have in order to keep the series competitive, they needed Trey and DeJounte to be really, really good in basically every game because Boston's a much better roster. So I think if I had to go with this game in itself, I think you're better off live betting this game if you like Boston. It, wouldn't, it would not surprise me if Atlanta comes out in the first quarter with a purpose and maybe opens up an early 10-5 lead, something very brief in the first four or five minutes because they're going to come out in desperation and Boston might eventually get back on track, but they might mentally think to themselves, we got this team taken care of, and they might sleepwalk for the first couple of minutes. I think I'm going to lean Boston. I'm not going to bet it at 10.5, but I do think you can find a much better line mid-game I do like Atlanta first quarter. I'm kind of tempted by that play because if Atlanta gets buried again in the first quarter of this game, they might as well just fly to Cancun because the series is over. Like they're not coming back if they constantly get buried in the first quarter and first half of these games. I think Atlanta comes out with a purpose in the first quarter, and I think Boston responds and beats them the final three quarters. So I'll lean Boston, but I do prefer a live line, and I will lean Hawks first quarter. Um. So here's my issue with Boston and why I think that if the Hawks are going to win games in this series, it's going to take a complete team effort. And I think this is more of a testament to Quinn Snyder and what he's been able to do with this roster as quickly. And it's the fact that while I think that the top heaviness of Boston is by far clear in a way, not even close, not on the same spectrum of the earth better than Atlanta. I think Atlanta has the deeper roster in terms of scoring the basketball. Really? When, 
Yes, I do. I actually really do. I mean, they they can Boston can go what eight deep, maybe really seven. Okay, like, like they they don't go in a game where they were destroying them. They played eight guys. I'm trying to think of what Atlanta has though for scoring depth. Uh, you but got I mean, Trey, of okay, course, Sadiq Bay can score the basketball. Yeah, okay. You have Bogdan Bogdanovich has scored the basketball. Yep. Jalen Johnson with Quinn Snyder can score the basketball. He's been very very effective with Quinn Snyder as head coach. You have Okongwu who's been able to run the floor a lot. And so I'm just sitting here looking at all the different options that I'm sitting here talking about this team that can score the basketball. And it just depends on one. Can they effectively play team basketball and get this going? That is a lot to ask for. I will say it's a lot to ask for. I don't like Boston, so I'm going to just go ahead and say it happens. But it is a lot to ask for. However, when I look at Boston, if one or two guys have a bad day, I think they're dead in the water. That's why I don't think that they're making a deep run in the playoffs because unlike last year where they've had a lot of guys that have been able to step up, with this team, if Jason Tatum has a bad night, if Derek White isn't playing like a freaking all-star, this team has been dead in the water on different times of the se- of the series. And so, I mean, on paper, they should win. They're 10 and a half point favorites. I'm taking Atlanta and just saying, saying that Atlanta make, makes this a little bit closer, that they're able to shoot the ball a little bit more effectively. I mean, Jalen Johnson and Bogdan went six for 20 coming off the bench. You can't do that and expect to win the game. Uh, I, I like Sadiq Bay. I think that he'll have an impact in this game. I think it's going to be more about the facilitation by Trey Young and DeJounte Murray to everybody else because you know those two are going to collect – what's the word? Those two are going to draw all the attention. Like they're going to draw all the attention on defensively. Marcus Smart, they're going to get everything, especially when they're driving to the rim. And so now it's going to be can the DeAndre Hunters be able to hit their shots on the outside? Can – uh, John Collins be able to hit his shot on the outside. Like they have a whole bunch of other guys, and I think that's how I'm going to play this. If I like Atlanta to make this close, I may take a couple of people threes and just say that hey, they actually decide to hit shots today because they went five for twenty nine from three that first game. Like that, that's not that's not sustainable. You're not going to win any type of game going five for twenty nine from three. So I think Atlanta shoots the ball a little bit better. This is a little bit more competitive. Uh, I'm sure Boston probably still wins the game. I think, I think Atlanta does. Page here. Like we think it's a little bit large. So I mentioned potentially live betting Boston if the line gets to like seven and a half or something. Six oh no, I would never live bet Boston. I would rather. I, I actually think Boston might get out to a quicker start. Honestly, really, but I think yeah, I think that Atlanta's just not going to go away. Like they're they're going to be able to chip away, chip away, chip away uh, at it and give us something interesting towards the fourth quarter. Well, we'll see. One, if. Uh, Joe Missoula is able to make adjustments in a playoff series. And two, is Boston any different than what they've been in different part of the series, uh, in a different part of the season where they just kind of lost it in the fourth quarter? So I do um, want to ask, though, how much stock do you put into zigzag theory? Does it apply for two separate home games or do you only apply it when you actually switch home court advantages? What? What do you mean? Zigzag theory for the playoffs. Oh, when- um. Do you I apply think, that I think for it depends on the team. Or do you only apply that for when you're switching home court advantages? I think it depends on the team. I okay. think it I think it depends on the team and what situation it is. Because it, it could be one or it could be another. Like if you're have a you know a ultra super competitive series where you know both teams can like Golden State and Boston in the finals last year. Like that was kind of a zigzag theory where you know da 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 it, it didn't matter whether it was home on the road, they were going mm-hmm. to trade trade blows with each other. But you could look at 
potentially go to state and Kings this year where both teams are really, really good at home. And that's, you know, the home court is going to mean everything, but I still do think Atlanta steals a game on the road this series. I'm still sticking by my Atlanta plus two and a half, uh, for this series, I just think it's going to be the closeout game five and not this game here. But if they do get this game here, then I'm going to feel ultra confident. So I'm going Atlanta plus 10 and a half. I mean, why would I not sprinkle on a money line? It's plus 10 and a half money line. Of course, I'll sprinkle on the money line. But ultimately, I do think that Boston ekes out a win here at home and then goes back to Atlanta up 2-0. I think I'd rather if I if I was going to take Atlanta, I think I'd probably meet in the middle. I would take some trade prop and parlay it with the points, because if Atlanta is going to cover this game, they need Trey to play well. Simply put, and if even if you don't think Trey's a great player and maybe think he's overrated, it doesn't matter. The point is his usage rate is so high on this team that he needs to have good games for Atlanta to keep this close. So I think that's how I look at it. I don't think Atlanta is going to win the game, uh, but I do think if you want to make an argument for Atlanta, you might want to parlay it with Trey. Because there's no way Trey can have a bad game and Atlanta hangs in there, at least in my opinion. I think he needs to play well. Yeah, I mean, I just – you listen to Quinn Snyder and he talk about Trey Young after the game and saying that he wants Trey Young to continue shooting the basketball. He wants Trey Young to continue being aggressive. So I don't hate that. Like, I think that that's still a possibility. I think I kind of like Trey Young assist today just because I think that everybody else is going to have a bigger impact in this game as well. But – I, I yeah, if Trey Young has a good game, then that's very easy. And I also think I kind of want to parlay that with Derek White under because it just seems like if Derek White goes off, Boston's gonna win. Like it seems like he's the X factor and that additional scorer that they need. And if he had anytime he has a good game, it feels like they're they're pretty yeah. much well, running away. Derek White is the offensive X factor of this team because his leap has really allowed Boston a little bit more versatility. And that definitely can give you a bit more of a scoring punch. So I agree with you on Derek White. I think that he, I think he's going to have a good game. So that's kind of why uh, I think Boston probably covers. But once again, I feel a lot better if I can save a point or two during the course of the game. But yeah, for me, Atlanta, you mentioned the scoring depth. I saw a couple of guys who looked like they were ready for the moment. Then again, it was game one, so maybe they'll step up in game two. I'm just constantly disappointed by DeAndre Hunter. Like, I want him to be good. Uh-huh. I want him to be consistent, but uh-huh. offensively, I feel like he just goes invisible for half of games, and it really annoys me. Have you noticed the same thing? Yeah, I think I think of that for the entire Hawks team, which is which tells me like there's going to be a game where Atlanta probably runs away with the game because everybody's clicking offensively. But I think it would be game three because you just you assume the role players will hit more shots at home. Yeah, possibly. I I, I know they're getting one of those two home games. It's just which one, but. I'll go game three. If I, I, I had Boston in five initially in my head, so I'll go with Atlanta game three, but that's basically it. All right. Totals at 230.5. You find it weird that money's coming on the over and the line's actually gone up a decent amount? No. Because I think Atlanta's going to shoot the ball way better. I think Atlanta's going to shoot the ball way better and make it close. I don't think Boston's going to slow down their scoring. I just think Atlanta's going to start scoring too. Like I, I know you know game twos, game two unders and all that, but I, I think Atlanta is going to bounce back by being able to one hit shots and two really really test um, Boston and the fact of their rotation and you know. That that's a it's a very thin rotation. It's a really really thin rotation. They effectively played seven guys in Sandhauser eleven minutes in a blowout game. <laughs> so 
Uh, I'm curious on, I'm very, very much curious on what Missoula had. And if this is even sustainable for a playoff run, I mean, these guys are young, but 40 minutes is 40 minutes. And playing that consistently every other night is. I don't, I don't know if the minutes play. matter because you have so many days off in between games nowadays. I'm not sure if that actually means. I more. mean, it, right now they're, it's at, they're at one day off. So, I mean, eh, possibly, but. I, I kind of meant like in between series and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. I in mean, between they, they build in sure. rest to the schedule. Oh, yeah. In between series is for sure. But I'm just saying it. We'll see. We'll see. But. Yeah. I, I think I'm going to lean on your questions. I, I I'm just going to back number. the game two unders for me. Boston defensively, I just think, is really well-equipped to stop Atlanta offensively. And I'm mm-hmm. hoping Atlanta defensively puts together a better effort because early in the game, it wasn't great. As the game went on, their defense kind of improved, so I'm hoping that maybe they found something. I think I'm going to lean under, though. Game two unders, as you said before, have been good if you blindly back them. They were 2-0 yesterday. It's mostly me just daring Atlanta to actually find something consistent offensively against the Celtics defense. It's really just Rob Williams. Atlanta relies so heavily on the three that if they are going to brick a bunch of shots again, they might they're gonna get killed in this game. But once again, the argument is for three point variance, they were so bad in game one, you're expecting them to get back on track in game two. I'm gonna be a little bit skeptical on that. I'm gonna lean to the under. I just feel like there were a couple ways to get there. Either Atlanta's defense steps up or Boston's defense continues to be great and the game goes under. I'm gonna lean under as well. This number feels a little bit high for a playoff game. In my opinion, one play a game. Uh, sure. Ah, uh, let's play. What ref is it? And as we pull up the refs to figure out who the refs are tonight for the Atlanta Hawks and the Boston Celtics, we have a crew chief of. I see James Williams. And James Williams is thirty and thirty-three against. No, yeah, to the under. No, to the over. Yeah, so yeah, 33 and 30. A slight under ref, but nothing too substantial. Okay. 228 is the total that he's given. And our next ref is Mark Lindsay. Mark Lindsay. Oh, Mark, where you at? Or is Mark with a C? What? It's Mark, Mark with a K. Yeah, I, I spelled that. This thing stupid. Uh, control F is dumb sometimes. All right, Mark Lindsay, 15 and 19, 232.6. So an under ref, but he's had some high totals. How the hell is he an under ref with a 232 point? Okay, sure. All right. Yeah, he's uh, had some high totals. I guess so. Uh, and then you got Carl Lane. Uh, it's Carl with a K. Carl Lane. And Carl Lane is 31 and 32, 229.8. So okay. all the numbers are hovering around that number. Yeah, we basically got no information at all. It's, yeah. It was a terrible round of what ref is it, but I'm going to... Yeah, very, that. very bad round, but it's all right. Okay, props. For props, I'll ask you this, because Jalen Brown went over his point total barely in game one. He had to leave for the locker room in the first quarter because his hand split open again, and it seems like they're constantly dealing with the hand issue, or at least they're trying to adjust to it. I, I said something on Twitter, which I guess in hindsight didn't work out because Brown went over. But during the game when Underdog or one of these random uh, news update Twitter accounts posted that Brown went to the locker room, I basically tweeted that if you bet on a guy with an injured hand that's on you, like don't be surprised if something happens to him. Now, he went over anyway, so it worked out. Mm-hmm. Can I really trust Jalen Brown if I'm not sure if his hand's going to hold up for a 48-minute game? Nope. So I, I think I have to go back. I have to lean to an under. Now, he went over once again. The, the number's still high for Brown. 
But once again, if his hand gets cut open again and he has to leave for the locker room, would I be shocked? No. So I think I have to look at an under there. I think it's going to be a good Tatum game. Brown kind of led the offense. Tatum didn't do much in the second half because they were up by a lot. But also Tatum had like 23 points, give or take. I think Tatum has a big game here. This seems like the kind of game where Tatum would just remind everybody I'm the best player in the series. It's 30 and a half, but I think he could be in line for a massive game. I'm trying to think of what else I want to go with. Like, do I like Trey at 24 and a half? Because I think he's going to be more aggressive, but I do think Boston has a lot of length, which could give him some problems. And Marcus Smart, I know he's a flopper, still a good defensive player. I'm going back to Capella under. I just think it's a good price. It seemed like from what we noticed in game two, I thought Okonkwo had some good moments there in game two. Mm -hmm. Capello, for the most part, was a non-factor. He had a couple of points there with offensive rebounds and the occasional dunk, but he had 12 points in game one. He played 27 minutes. I really just don't think it's a good series for him. I, I like Capello under because he can't generate his own shot. You look at the 12 points. He had a steal and a breakaway dunk. He had a hook shot layup, which somehow went in in the first half. I like Capella under 10 and a half. The number seems a bit inflated to me. I just think that you're going to see Capella potentially get played off the floor. I think Akonkwu really had some moments there in game one. I like Capella under. I think one adjustment Snyder might make is using Akonkwu more because he's better at switching. I agree for different reasons. Okay. And the reason I agree is I think that Capella is – I think he'll probably start. I don't see him – being bold enough to take him out of the starting lineup. But I think Capella will be the Robert Williams solver this go-around. Robert Williams in that last game was 6-for-6 six six from the field, 12 points, 8 rebounds, coming off the bench for 22 minutes. I think that while Capella may be a starter for the start of the game, there's going to be a point in time where the rotation is going to come and Robert Williams is going to sub into the game and Quinn Snyder is going to match with Capella every single time. And you'll start to see probably more lineups with the starting lineup and a Kongwu in there who, one, is way more athletic than Al Horford. He'll be able to get by Al Horford and score the basketball a little bit more. He'll be able to affect the game in more ways. And his defense is really, like, really, really something that hasn't been talked about all season, that he's really, really improved just his one-on-one on-ball defending. And so uh, that's why I am on a Kongwu over seven and a half today. I believe it's at seven and a half. Yeah, seven and a half minus one twenty-five. I think Okongwu has a better day. He gets more usage. He's on the court a lot more, so thus he's able to score more points. And I kind of want—I would actually talk myself into an Okongwu double double today. I was, was going to ask one. you if that's going to be the ten to one long shot. Ten to one's a great price. I mean, we're both low on Capella for this game for different reasons. Yeah, but... I, I think he—I think he gets more burn this game. I, like he had nineteen minutes in that first game. I think that's not happening again because you know that. You can't play Capella against Robert Williams. That is a, that is an effectively a mismatch. Robert Williams is way too big. Yes, Okongwu is faster than him, but he's way too big. He's not going to be able to challenge him at the rim, whereas Clint Capella can. And so Okongwu, 19 minutes, I, I think that gets way into the 25, 26, 27-minute territory. He gets a lot more burn this game. So I'm going to just you know call my shot and say I know what Quinn Snyder is thinking and that Okongwu is going to get a lot more burn in this game. So I like Okongwu for uh, a very nice day today. Do I think he realistically gets a double-double? No, but that's not the point. The point is is that with an uptick in minutes and what we're expecting for this game plan that Snyder might make or the adjustments he might make, I think they have to go smaller. 
I it's think just, I realistically think he gets a double double. Like I realistically, I'm not sure if you. I don't know if he can score enough. But the point is, at like ten to one, I think if if we're assuming he gets 25 plus minutes, and you give a starting center or, in, or indirectly a starting center because his minutes might be specifically chopped down the middle with Capella, you're gonna give me a, a center at ten to one. They play this game ten times. I think he gets the double double at least once. Yeah, I think there's gets, value on it anyway. I think he'll probably he averages ten points. I'm not worried about the points. I, I think he's going to score. Like I'm not worried about the points. It's it's really just is he going to be on the court long enough to grab the rebounds and and it has to be with Robert Williams off the floor. Like it has to be with Robert Williams off the floor. But I'm also banking on the Hawks saying that we can't get out rebounded by 13 again. So we've got to figure out something. Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum both had 11 and 12 rebounds respectively. So they got to find ways to crash the boards and get the re- and get them back. So yeah, I I, I like a Kongu today. I think Clint Capella can still like he can still have a decent day. I just think that it comes against Robert Williams and not against the starters most of the time. So uh, anything else that I really, really like prop wise, I think DeJounte assist, it feels kind. I know it's always been around four and a half, but like, I don't know. I think that DeJounte can have a pretty solid day because I think that they're going to score more. And so I mean, he, he looked good when he was the main guy with I mean, he didn't have a good stat line. But when Trey was on the bench and they went on that run in the third and fourth quarter, I thought DeJounte did a pretty good job as a floor general. Yeah. So give me DeJounte over four and a half assists as well. I like that. I'm looking at Jalen Johnson rebounds, though. I see three and a half. He had, six in game, he had six in 13 minutes in game one. Yeah. I got to let the over for Johnson. It's the minutes. There. It's just the minutes. Or well, it's the like, minutes and the energy. He, he gives you a spark. At least he, tr- you know, it feels like he can get to his spots. Atlanta, we know, is very good at crashing the offensive glass. Jalen Johnson, though, he I thought he was one of the bright spots for Atlanta in game one. Once again, six rebounds in 13 minutes. I, I got to look at an over for three and a half. I, he's he's got to play more than 13 minutes. I thought he was pretty good in game one. Yeah. And what is... Part of me wants to take Sadiq Bay's over four and a half rebounds, but I was not actually going, going to ask you about that because he's done a very good job on the offensive he's glass. He's very, very good on offensive glass recently, and it just feels like if there was a conversation about crashing the boards more, he's somebody that definitely took it to heart. I'm not going to do it though, but I am very much eyeing that prop, and mm, the DJ and me could find me take see myself taking it later on today. All right. Uh, I think that's all I got. And yeah, I think that's all I got. A Kongu steals and blocks over one and a half intri- intrigues me as well. I'm actually really big on a Kongu today. I think he's the X factor. Okay. Next game on the slate, we have the New York Knicks going to play the Cleveland Cavaliers where the Knicks lead the series 1-0. Line opened up at minus five for the Cavs. Now it is over to minus five and a half. Two fourteen and a half is the total injury report for these two teams. And Josh Hart has popped up on the injury report as questionable. I've seen other outlets say that Josh Hart is not expected to play tonight. So I uh, should be on the lookout for that. Probably going to increase Quickly's usage coming off the bench. May see some Miles McBride in this series as well with Josh I'll, Hart I'll potentially call quickly out. out. I, no offense to him, you can't score three points. If you're going to win six man of the year, you got to play a lot better than you did in game one. Okay. 
All right. And for the Cleveland Cavaliers, you have nothing. Dylan Windler is out. So full staff for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Looks like there is more and more and more of a possibility of Josh Hart not playing in this game. It's a big deal. I mean, I already kind of had my mind made up on where I was going before Josh Hart was out. So this just kind of helped aid everything but yeah I, I, we're on the same I'm, page here I'm, I'm, I'm on cleveland cleveland's been really really good after a home loss all season like after a home loss all season they've been really really good they've gone through and destroyed teams after losing at home honestly and most of these games if not all of these games i'm just trying to double check and make sure that i'm not tripping but have come after double digits have come as double digits yesterday lost to the to the timberwolves at home in November, next home game, they beat the Hornets by 10. That took double overtime, but they still got there by 10. And then you come through here. Let's see, let's see, let's see. They don't lose at home very often. Uh, they lost to the Kings even matters at home. anymore, though, because I based my Memphis breakdown on the fact they're really good at home, and they immediately punted game one against the Lakers. So, you know, playoff basketball might be different. I got to reevaluate the importance of home court advantage in the playoffs. Because it feels like road teams are winning all the time in the last couple of years. I don't know when that started. Mm. Have you noticed the same thing? I don't think it's all the time. I think that is a very a lot I think more it's than more, at least I used to remember. I I think that it. Yeah, I would just say that it's more. It's more split. Like, and it's just more of the energy in the team. Like, home court advantage is not as big in college as it is in the NBA. But there are still some teams that are really have. Really, what do you mean really an NBA than it is in college? You flipped it. Yeah, it's not as it's big bigger. In it's NBA bigger in as, college than the NBA. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely, and that's because of the veteranship, the all that other stuff that goes into the guys, and you're not depending on 18, 19 year old kids to go into a hostile environment and play well. So, I, I still, but I still trust this. I'm pretty sure they haven't lost back-to-back home games all season. I'm trying to find one, but I'm pretty sure they haven't lost back-to-back home games all season. And it is because they have a really, really good court home court. When they do lose that game, they come back with a vengeance in that second home game and really, really atone for what they did the first go-round. So that that was kind of my thought process of the Cavs. I think that there's going to be a little bit more of an adjustment. You'll see those some of the young guys for the Cavs be able to play a little bit better. Evan Mobley kind of find his shot this game and be able to play a lot better. I know Donovan Mitchell is still going to go off. I think Darius Garland is still going to have a really good day, especially if Evan Mobley and Gar if Evan Mobley is going, then Garland and Mobley are just going to be a human cheat code in this game with the pick and roll that they are able to set and play. And I mean, we'll see how Julius Randle looks on that ankle after playing on it. There's one thing to be coming off of, you know, rehab and recovery and all that stuff, but playing on it again and then having to play another game on it a day or two later is not always the easiest thing if anybody actually ever played basketball before. So uh, I think that I'm, I've already kind of made my mind up. And then Josh Hart was the icing on top where it was like, yeah, I made the right decision here. I'm already down on the Cavs minus five. I like Cleveland anyway in this game. Uh, I picked the Knicks to win the series in six. That was my initial thought. But everybody expected a war in the series. So why am I suddenly going to overreact and pick the Knicks to be on the verge of potentially sweeping when everyone thought the series was going to go six or seven games about two days ago? And game one was close. Cleveland was really bad offensively because nobody besides Mitchell showed up, and yet they were winning with like two minutes to go. So I'm not going to overreact to how that game went. That game could have gone either way. The Knicks dominated the game for most of it. And then you almost had 
a Thibodeau-level collapse in the fourth quarter. Not trying to bring back bad memories, but that's kind of what it looked like for a little bit. And then Josh Hart bailed them out on that three-pointer in that, let's just say, disorganized possession, which worked out to an open look. I like Cleveland. I think you're going to see a better effort from Garland and Mobley. I still don't like Cleveland in the series or in the playoffs because I really don't like their bench, and I don't like their scoring depth at all. But I do think for game two against a limited Knicks, I'd say defensive wing situation because Hart is their best perimeter defender. McBride might get more minutes, and Grimes is still a good defensive player. But Hart, in my opinion, is their best defensive player. Do we agree with that? Yeah. So with him potentially being compromised and Mitchell still went for about 38 in game one, I think Mitchell's going to shoot the ball 30-plus times in every game as he should. I think Mitchell goes for 40 tonight. I think he goes for six threes, maybe more. I think Garland and Mobley play better, and I think they win this game. It might be close for a bit, but it would not surprise me if the Cavs end up opening up a a double-digit lead at some point in this game. I am going to go with the Cavs, though. I think they win this game by, like, eight. Yeah, I think it just all kind of clicks a little bit better for them this go around. And I'm um, very concerned about the other guys being able to score like them, like Karis Levert having a good day with Josh Hart not in the game. You know, I'm I'm concerned and I, I might actually be on a Karis Levert prop because I think if anybody benefits of just Josh Hart being out for this game, if he is out, but I'm pretty sure he's going to be out. If, if anybody benefits from Josh Hart missing this game, it's probably going to be Karis Levert who finds himself being able to score a ball off the bench a lot easier. And again, that's probably a point of emphasis that they had. They had 14 bench points for the entire game, Josh Hart outscored their bench <laughs> by himself. <laughs> by himself, Josh Hart outscored the Cleveland Cavaliers bench. I don't so. want to ask about the game plan, though. If Hart is out, I know he's now questionable, so we'll see. If he plays, he'll be limited, I'm assuming. What do you do if you're the Knicks? Do you give McBride minutes? Do you give Barrett more minutes? Do you give Toppin more minutes? Like, What do you think Thibodeau's going to do to try to replace Hart's minutes if, Hart's can't, if Hart can't go? I mean, I don't know what he's going to do. What I I'm saying, what do you think does, he's do? Yeah, what I hope he would do is probably uh, throw Miles McBride back in there and add some some level of scoring on the outside because the defense is going to dip, and that's ultimately what what I'm looking at. I think the defense overall is going to dip, and so you're going to need another outside level score and then just kind of trust Emmanuel quickly and for him to shoot out of whatever he's getting in like Emmanuel quickly took five shots everybody's talking about he was 0 for 5 but he took five shots like we know we don't know quick to be an efficient hyper efficient scorer like that's not how he plays basketball he figures it out he gets into his rhythm and then he eventually catches fire so you can't just if you want him to have an, a contribution offensively you got to give him at least 10 shots to figure out hey is this really going to be a good day or is this truly a bad day like that's how it is with him that's why he comes off the bench and he's not you know one of the best Mm -hmm. you know guards in the league is because he's so inefficient with it and he just kind of has to figure it out as the game goes on so i would like to see mcbride to come in there and be able to add as another level scorer next to him so that if quickly is able to drive and get penetration on inside you have a host of three-point shooters on the outside that can take advantage yeah, for me, I think that if Hart is out or if he's going to play less than 20 minutes in this game, I think I have to just pivot to Grimes because Grimes is their main 3-and-D guy. And I do think McBride should get more minutes, but we know Thibodeau historically doesn't exactly trust the younger guys to get much run in the playoffs. So I think you might see an uptick for Barrett. But Grimes played 27 minutes in game one, 
went one for four. I think if Hart's out, I think Grimes plays 35 minutes. Like I, I just think Grimes gets a massive boost because he's proven to Thibodeau that despite being young, Thibodeau can trust him. And he's still a very high IQ basketball player. I think Grimes would be the biggest uh, beneficiary from Hart missing. I'd probably look for Grimes props. No, I don't trust Quentin, Bergeron. Quentin Grimes shooting the basketball. No, I don't trust. It's mostly just based on minutes. I, I think that you might find value because I think he'll be able to play 35 minutes and you can use the math accordingly if you think it's worth a risk. But I would probably lean Grimes because I think he would be the one who benefits the most in terms of playing time from Hart being out, in my opinion. I know. I 100% agree. And, you know, it's but it's also a situation of I know Quentin Grimes. I've seen this guy play all year. There are times where he just he is he is a great scorer, but there is times he doesn't know when to score the basketball, and it's actually pretty annoying. So I truly, personally, just stay away from Grimes props whenever I can. There are a couple of props I'm tempted by that are not role player based. So I don't know if you want to get into those. Do you have any thoughts? Well, let's talk about the total sitting at two fourteen and a half. I find it weird that money's coming on the over. I find it very very weird. Hart being out, very good defensive player, but he also gave the Knicks a boost offensively. I think I'm going to lean over. I don't feel great about it, but Brunson got into foul trouble and barely played the first half. Played, what, nine minutes in the first half, and then he had 20-something points in the second half. Quickly at three points, he was terrible. Nobody on the cast could have a shot besides Mitchell. I think I have to lean to the over and just hope that somebody hits some shots. Because the, the Knicks shot 42% from the floor, 27.6% from three. The Cavs shot 43.4% from the floor and 32.3%. And the game landed 198. I think I'm going to have to lean to the over. I really don't feel good about it. But I find the line movement fascinating. And I'm hoping that some guys on Cleveland actually show up for this game besides Mitchell. I'll lean over. Give me like a 110 one. Oh, I think it's going to be close. I'm going to lean over. I'm not going to bet the total, but I'm hoping that guys step up when they need to, and you'll see a more of an offensive showing. So I'll lean over, but I don't feel great about it. Yeah, no, it's very easy for me. I'm taking under, under 214.5. All right, player prop time. JR said grime, ladder grimes threes, grimes five plus threes as plus is ten to one. Okay, so I won't ladder his threes, but I will sprinkle on ten to one because ten to one's just a fun ten to one for a starter for a starter to hit five threes at ten to one. Like so it's either gonna be one or five. Like I'm I'm not gonna waste my money doing the ladder nor taking the original prop because I actually really don't care to bet grimes, but ten to one for a starter that's probably gonna get thirty minutes is actually worth it for five threes. So I'll take grimes. Five threes at ten to one. Do you want to get into the main guys for this game? I mean, what what else do you have? I'm not taking an under for Mitchell. Mitchell's over bust for me. I think Mitchell's going to potentially go for forty in this game. He's going to have to shoot the ball thirty times. I, I nobody else on Cleveland looked like they wanted to shoot the basketball, and it's an issue that I have with Mobley. I get Mobley is a very good young player, but people keep talking about him being a superstar. And he doesn't have any – I don't think he has any offensive, like, post moves. I don't think he does anything to create his own shot. It seems like his entire offensive game is predicated on pick and rolls with either Mitchell or Garland. Oh, I, oh, I wholeheartedly disagree. I don't from think From what I've seen from Mobley, Mobley, I think he leaves a lot. I don't think you've watched enough of Evan Mobley. Evan Mobley off the dribble is really, really good in the way he's able to drive and get to the lane. I think he absolutely has a better post game and bag than you are 
ever giving him credit for. I agree to disagree. I, I, I think that Mobley leaves a lot to be desired from an offensive scoring perspective in the post. I don't think he's got many moves from what I've seen. We'll see. I know he can hit a mid-range jumper. I agree that with a, with his athletic, with his athleticism, he can take somebody off the dribble on occasion. I really don't see much post game from him, and I kind of want to see that moving forward. But anyway, I like Mitchell over. I think he goes for potentially 40. I like Mitchell threes. I think he's going to take a bunch of shots. I really like Brunson in this game. Brunson 30-plus points is plus 270, and Brunson 35-plus points is 8-1. to one. Did you? Did anybody watch the second half? He played nine minutes in the first half, and then he completely took over the entire game in the second half. What did he have in the second half? He had like 20, what do you have, 24, 23 in the second half? I think. Uh, yeah, something like that. He, he give me, give me Brunson, I'll ladder 30 and 35 plus. Like, that's a hell of a deal. 27, I, I, I mean, uh, plus 270 for 30 plus points and plus eight to 800 for 35. And from what I've seen in full halves that he's played in, he dropped 48 points and he dropped 20 plus points in the second half. How am I not on Brunson props in this game? Those prices are absurd. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, for, for me, I'm, you're never going to talk me off of Jalen Brunson. I'm sorry. I'm you're but he's never so good in this matchup. Nobody on Cleveland can stay in front of him. Yeah. At all. I wouldn't be surprised if he had a 30 piece today at all. So, uh, I said, I, I teased it earlier. Give me Karis LeVert over eight and a half points. I will probably take Karis LeVert to some type of plus money. Let me see what I can get him at. I, I, I can't take that because I will never back Karis LeVert, but I'm rooting for you. That's perfectly fine. I like, the, I like the read. I just don't trust LeVert enough. So let's take a two guys that we hate parlay. Barrett? We're doing a Barrett and uh no, I was I was I was not talking about RJ Barrett. That's actually disgusting you would ever talk about that. I was talking about Quentin Grimes. Oh, okay. Why would why would I ever even recommend RJ Barrett? That's why I thought you might be, you know, you said two players we hate, and I've been anti Barrett for years. No, but it's not you. I was talking about Karis Levert. Oh my gosh. All right, so Karis Levert to score 15. And uh, um, how do we play Grimes? Because 15 for Grimes isn't as juicy as it was for the Levert. Uh, four threes? Yeah, four threes is a pretty high price. All right, so Karis Levert for 15 and Grimes for four threes is 37-1. Okay. So, yeah, like, yeah. yeah. All right. Um man, I'm really really um, give me Evan Mobley over 14 and a half points. Scott is really bugging you saying that Evan Mobley doesn't have a bag. Wrong, but from what right, I've seen, that is, that is really bugging that Evan Mobley doesn't have a bag. Evan Mobley absolutely has a bag. I just I, I truly don't understand. I'm just that gonna game say from. that when I've watched Mobley play, you've never said that all year. You've what, never said Mobley? that all year. Yes, you've never said that critique all year. Because I used to At give out not on the show. I've been when on. did I ever give out Mobley points? No, but I'm not saying I'm not saying you gave out his points, but you never said I've talked about Mobley all season. You never ever came back at me and said "Mm, he doesn't have a bag. Never, not once. He might be one of those players. At least it's early on. He's only one game into his playoff career. One and a half, if you include the play-in. We've seen a lot of big men 
in the league, whether it's Adebayo. I know he bounced back in game two, but still. Sabonis, who was better in game two, but struggled in game one. There's a couple of guys who I just feel like are going to take some time to fully adjust to playoff-level basketball and intensity, or their offensive game is more of a regular season offensive game than a playoff game. I just want to see more from Mobley. I feel like he's too passive at times. I want to see him be more aggressive. I want to see him be willing to show off a post move every now and then. But I feel like he acknowledges that Mitchell's number one, Garland's number two, and he just doesn't really look for his own shot enough. And I feel like that's the main issue I have with Mobley. He could have a bag. I could be wrong. But I feel like he doesn't show off the bag enough that I feel confident in backing him in a playoff setting to score because I don't think he looks to score most of the time. In my opinion, I, I, all right, agree uh, to disagree. Phoenix we'll Suns, in game two. The Phoenix Suns are welcoming the Cleve, the Los Angeles Clippers. A line opened up at sevens now at minus eight and a half. Two twenty six and a half is the total. That's come up. Wow, that actually came up a whole point while we were recording. I'm not gonna lie. All right, so the blah 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 Clippers. Paul George, you know that. Uh, further signs campaign questionable. Uh, Scott Foster is the ref. Yeah, that needs saying. Okay, all right. What are you doing? We're taking the Clippers, right? I mean, it's a Scott Foster game against Chris Paul. The Clippers won game one. Now you can argue zigzag theory. The Suns will maybe use Durant more. They'll look better. I can't lay eight and a half with Chris Paul, who has not beaten Scott Foster as an active player in what, like, fifteen years. I'm not laying I think it's there in the playoffs. I think that's a play. I think that's a playoff stat. Could be. The point is, I'm not taking him to win by margin. And it wasn't even just the ref stuff. It was the fact that Phoenix down the stretch of the game looked so soft. The Clippers dominated the boards in the final stages of that game. There was one possession which ended up resulting in Westbrook free throws, where the Suns got about three stops in a row. And I think that's what prompted you to tweet about Aiton in on uh, just Twitter because of how he was not going for any rebounds at all down the stretch. They couldn't grab the ball. The Clippers kept getting so many extra chances because they wanted it more. It seemed like they were more physical. They were more energetic. I thought that you ended up seeing the Clippers with Westbrook, who was terrible from the floor, but his energy was very contagious for that team. I'm going to link to the Clippers. Now, I think the Suns might win the game. They might not. But based on history, there are some trends that can't go against. It's not just the Suns winning with Chris Paul against Scott Foster. It's them winning by borderline double digits. That I can't do. I'm going to lean to the Clippers. I think that the Clippers are a team that's not afraid of Phoenix. They are willing to go in there and match them punch for punch. I'm taking the points. I think this is a close game. Kwai, I think, is basically unguardable. And we saw that in game one. Westbrook's energy, I think, will carry over. If Westbrook goes five for 12, that's a massive upgrade because he went three for 18 or three for 19 in game one. I'm going to lean to the Clippers. I think it's a good spot for them to keep this game close. I will lean to Phoenix winning this game, but with Scott Foster's history, at some point, handicapping goes out the window and you talk about trends that you blindly have to back. I have to blindly back Scott Foster against Chris Paul. I have to do it. This is the main event angle I was looking for. I got to go with the Clippers. I just have to. Do you think eight and a half, though, but ignoring the refs, doesn't that seem a little bit large? Because the Clippers matched up pretty well against Phoenix in game one. Uh, no, it's not, because I was fully prepared to take it before I knew Scott Foster was refing this morning. 
so I will not say because then I feel like I'd be contradicting myself. Um, let me see here. I'm just looking something up. What is the what is the updated number of that? Uh, does anybody have the updated number of that playoff? Like, of what playoff? Oh, the humans got uh, faster. Uh, yeah, like what is the? Like, the thing is, I can look it up on Twitter, but I feel like half of the stats involving it are so fake that I don't know what I like. Nothing's verified. I, I don't know what I can actually check, but let me let me see what I can find. I'll tell you right now, it's not good. I don't know the exact numbers, but it's not good. Um, let me see here. They just feel like, why do they keep keep making him the ref? All right. So Barstool uh, tweeted out that Foster's 14-0 versus Chris Paul in the last 14 games, but it's Barstool. So I don't know if I can trust any piece of that information. Can I... I really got to learn how to work this system. This is a new system that I'm messing with. Oh, time period. There we go. That's what I'm looking for. Okay. All right. Uh, let's see. Season. So, so last I year. Foster. I see a couple of sources, actually. So last year they were. No, is that not last year? Yeah. Last year they were one and one. No. Wait, what's this year? Is this 2023? Yeah. So, 20, yeah. so last year, last season was 2021, 2022. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I'm right about that. Okay, so last year during the playoffs when Scott Foster was the ref, they were one and one ATS. That's, that's ATS. The year though. before that, that's, that's not that's not straight up. And the year before that, I mean, I'm I'm concerned if they're covering the spread. <laughs> the year before that was the year that they went to the finals in the playoffs and they were 0 and 5 <laughs> with Scott Foster as the ref during that span. By the way, there is a Twitter account. So Barstool had 14 and 0 listed. So I wanted to try to cite some other references to see if that was accurate. There's a Twitter account called Is Scott Foster Officiating? <laughs> and it said it's the official account to track if Scott Foster is refereeing Phoenix Suns games. Uh, so I'm going to trust this one because somebody made a full Twitter account dedicated to Scott Foster. 14 playoff games, Chris Paul's 0-14. That's what I see. The issue is that this line was 7.5. Seven and, and now it's 8.5, so I don't know season. why the line's going up. That That's the weird part, but... For the I'm going I'm of- to just trust that even though Scott Foster is trying to screw Chris Paul out of having anything ever good in life, it is just too much for him to try to screw Devin Booker and Kevin Durant at the same time as well. So I'm going to stick with my pick that I had and just say that this is the ultimate bounce back game for the Clippers. They go out there and, you know, what I said this entire time of this series, I said wait, that the wait, first you, game you mean was bounce back game for the Suns. You said Clippers. Oh, yeah, for the Suns. Okay. It's going to be about, well, bounce back game for the Clippers in terms of them playing bad again. And so okay. I'm going to go back to the Suns here. And I said it and I'm just going to stake with it is the fact that I thought that the first game was going to be very, very entertaining. It was going to be a very, very fun game. It was going to have everybody on the edge of their seats. And they're like, oh, we thought that this could have been all Suns, but now it's going to go to seven. And it's going to be very, very competitive. And then the Suns are going to come through and absolutely steamroll over the Clippers because the Clippers have been very sketchy on defense. Their scoring off the bench has been up and down all throughout the course of the season, whereas if I know the Suns are going to do anything, I know that they have the individuals that are able to go out there and score the basketball. So. I'm going to stick with what I said. Scott Foster makes me not take anything Chris Paul related, but I will trust the Phoenix Suns to stick with my handicap and keep it going for this series. I'll take Phoenix laying eight and a half. 
I'm going to take the points. Uh, it's mostly just a Scott Foster system play. I do like Chris Paul unders, though. I'll take the under in points for Chris Paul. All right. Is that, a, is that a compromise? Would you agree with that regardless of if you think Phoenix covers? Because we saw that Chris Paul did basically nothing in game one. He's taken a constant backseat to Durant and Booker, which he should, because they're the main offensive weapons. Booker's, I mean, Booker, you're looking at for the actual prop, and Booker, I see 28.5. I see Durant at 28.5. Chris Paul's at 13.5. Is he actually going to look for his shot for most of the game? Like, I think I have to like Chris Paul unders because we know that Scott Foster is not going to call all the rip through free throw attempts that Chris Paul is going to try to get. Don't I have to like Chris Paul under 13 and a half points? Mm. At least for that number. What do you have? Four in game one? He had four or six in game one? Yeah. I, 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 mean, I, I think Chris it's Paul a solid under. play. I think it's a solid play. Uh, I'm not targeting it, but he I had think seven points play. in game one. Oh, I'm on the under for Chris Paul. All right, totals at two twenty six and a half. Like I said, it's gone a point and a half and a point while we've been on the show. I'm on the over. Scott Foster's ref. So you can argue that the the pace is going to be shot and it's going to turn into the Warriors Kings game where the game goes under because there's no flow to it. I'm just on the over. I, I think that Scott Foster is going to make sure that his kids are watching. He's going to make sure the family knows that he's refing the game and he'll constantly be calling a bunch of fouls in this game. I see foul trouble for a lot of guys here. Uh, I'm on the over. I think you'll see points. Yep. I'm on over. All right. Uh... And give me Chris Paul over for player prop because nobody on Phoenix can guard him. Kawhi was so Chris damn Paul good. Chris over? One. Over in what? Just said give me Chris Paul over for player prop. I mean, I took the under uh, for points. So if you want to go against me there, you can. No, no, no. You literally just said, give me Chris Paul over for, I don't know what other players. No, I, I said I say. want Chris Paul under and I want Kawhi Leonard over. I want Kawhi over. Okay. I just need you, when we're done, I need you to rewind to this, like go back to this moment right here. So I, I really can make thought sure I said Kawhi, but okay. <laughs> I almost positive you said Chris Paul over. Like I just I like Kawhi sure over because nobody on Phoenix can guard him. So give me Kawhi. We're going to go back. Yeah. No, no. Okay. All right. That's what you were saying. I was yeah. super confused. Like, no. wait, what? Chris Paul <laughs> under Kawhi over. That's how I'm looking okay. at it. Okay. All right. Um, I'm not touching anything, DeAndre. I'm going back to Mason Pumley off the bench. Over five and a half rebounds. I can see a Zubak foul trouble game here. If we're talking about Foster calling a bunch of fouls. So yeah, I'm going back to Zubak. I'm not Zubak, but uh Plumley. Going back to Plumley. Over five and a half. I will also take think about Devin Booker's assist, man. He really was like he he was the point guard for a good portion of that game yesterday. That's also why I'm kind of staying away from Paul points, or I like the under, because Paul didn't do much of the facilitating or the play calling that we thought he was going to do. Booker really handled most of it. Yeah, I'm going so over four and a half for Devin Booker. Like, that is his prop. And for the points, I mean, it's Booker, KD, probably both, to be honest. I'm also looking... I'm looking at uh, the really crazy maneuver, which doesn't sound as bad as it did maybe a couple days ago. <laughs> you have any thoughts on Westbrook triple double? Mm, not really. It's it's ten to one, so I'm not a fan of the value there. I do like Westbrook rebounds, though. I think he. I really think that Phoenix is going to have a hard time keeping him off the boards, and I think Westbrook found his role 
in the series if the shot's not going. I like Westbrook rebounds. I think he's in a good spot to potentially go for 10-plus rebounds. I don't want to say ladder the rebounds, but I do think, based on what I saw from him in game one, he had 10 rebounds. He took over the end of that game on the boards. I can see Westbrook really doing a great job on the glass, and we know Phoenix doesn't want it. So I, I think that you can't you can see Westbrook have a double-digit rebound game. All right. Um, yeah, I think that's it for me. Maybe Shamit. I might get out on Shamit too. But that's not, that's just a little – that's a good play. But all right. Let's go ahead because we're a little bit over. Lock and dog time for my lock. Do I really just fade the Knicks for my lock? Probably so. Yeah, give me the Cavaliers minus five and a half. I, I just, without Josh Hart, and I just think that Cleveland, just how they played, you know, bouncing back from a loss at home, they've really, really been good about rinsing that loss off and moving on to the next one. So I will take Cleveland in a bounce back spot at home, minus five and a half. For my dog. Mm-hmm. I'll ask you this: you get, Are you looking more at a side or a player prop? Mm, not sure yet. Okay, trying to figure it out. Uh, let me see. Is any of Okongwu stuff plus money? Nope, that's not. I mean, if you want to take alt uh, line, maybe you could find rebounds. Maybe for an alt one. Mm. I can shop around for you if you I'll want. just go I'll just go all out and call my shot. Give me a Kongwu double double ten one. Big. Okay. Uh so for my lock, I gotta go with the trend. I gotta go with history. It's also just a funny narrative just to look at in the NBA. It's one of the best narratives we have. I gotta take the Clippers plus eight and a half as my lock. I, I just have to. Uh, Chris Paul once again, allegedly. 0-14 in his last 14 playoff games with Scott Foster as the ref, allegedly. So I do think that the Clippers hang in there. Once again, I think the Clippers are a team that's not afraid of Phoenix. They have given Phoenix problems in the past, and it seemed like Phoenix in the late in that first game really was afraid of the moment. The issue that we had against with them last year in that game seven against Dallas was the team was a front-running team. They were a lot of talk. They didn't exactly back it up much, and they – folded when things got tough and when they faced resistance, the Clippers aren't backing down. I think the Clippers can really give Phoenix a bigger run in the series than I thought they were going to. I thought Phoenix was going to win in five, which turns out could be dead wrong. But I do think the Clippers getting eight and a half with Foster as the ref. If I lose, I lose, but I got to go based on history. Don't fix what isn't broken. I'll keep fading Chris Paul, uh, Chris Paul teams with Scott Foster as the ref. Give me the Clippers plus eight and a half as my lock. And for my dog, give me Brunson 30-plus points at plus 270. Bargain. Guy had 20-plus points and a half in game two. Had 48 points against this team the last regular season meeting they played. 30-plus points is plus 270. Doesn't make any damn sense to me. Give me Brunson over. All right. Anything else for people before we get up out of here? Uh, no, looking forward to the games tonight. Should be fun. Besides that, I will probably be watching hockey playoffs instead of NBA playoffs tonight. So keep that in mind. Hockey playoffs, best playoffs in sports. A great day one there. 
But besides that, yeah, just looking forward to the bets and looking forward to the action. All right. Make sure you follow us on YouTube. Follow us on Twitter. Follow us everywhere. Make sure you like and subscribe. Like the video. I don't know how what the like counter is at, but it's 65 of y'all in here. Just like the video on your way out. It's super, super easy. Other than that, I have nothing else to say. Subscribers, by the way. Thank you for 1,000 YouTube subscribers. Appreciate that. Nothing else to say. Nothing else to do. No other way of ending the podcast. Just going to end it like this. We are out of here. Basketball. Give me, give me, give me the ball. Because I'm going to.